that song uh, was actually written, my understanding, Corey Asbury, the guy who wrote that song, um, actually wrote it thinking about his, his own son and how he looked at him one time and he thought there's nothing that could ever make me love him more or less. And so that's kind of one of the situations that that song came out of. So if you've ever held a, held a newborn, um, if you've ever been a, been a parent and um, just the, the newness of life and the joy of life and looking at what you're holding and thinking, this is perfect. Not that they're perfect, but this is perfect. Um, that's what the way your father thinks about you. Um, this morning, uh, before I get started, I do want to mention uh, growth group sign-ups are in the lobby. Um, if you've been maybe coming to Springwell for a little while and you want to take another step, um, growth groups are the perfect way to do that. So right after the service, there'll be some people standing behind those tables out there. I'll be out there. We would love to help you find a group. Um, one of the big ways to connect here at Springwell and to learn and grow and meet new people is through growth groups. And I know that sometimes it's a time issue. Sometimes it's a, uh, I'm weirded out by going to people's home issue. We can figure all that out. But you meet us over there and we'll, we'll get started. It's amazing what, um, once you take that step, even though you don't really want to, um, how glad you are uh, after you do it. So growth group signups are today through the rest of the month. Make sure you um, get connected. Those actually start meeting the first week of September through the first week of December. Um, today we're going to start a brand new series called Base Camp. And I guess kind of the idea behind it is a little twofold. For number one, we have a project planning here that we use for staff. It's called Base Camp. And um, basically what you do is it's centered around a project. And so it kind of keeps everybody moving in the same direction. And so it shows you the process for getting certain things accomplished. So growth group sign-ups. Somebody had to print signs. Somebody had to put out tables. Somebody had to contact growth group leaders. And so it's how we all kind of work together to accomplish one thing. It's a process. But the other part of a base camp is it's a place where before hikers go hiking, it's almost like a, a, a place for them to kind of stage the hike, to provide food and to have supplies. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to look at what it looks like um, for a Christian, for a believer to grow? How are they going to get supplied? How are they going to find home base? And um, what are the things that even though it's never perfect and even though we make mistakes and even though it never lines out perfectly, what are some of the things that we can put in our lives now? What are the habits, the ideas that are going to help us grow um, as, we, as we move along? And today I'm going to be talking about the Bible. Before I do that, I thought I'd give you some Bible facts, okay? Anybody want Bible facts? Holler if you want Bible facts. If you do not want Bible facts, keep your mouth shut because you're getting them anyway. All right, you ready? Here's a few Bible facts. The Bible is the best-selling book in history with total sales exceeding 5 billion copies. Over 1 million copies of the Bible are sold each year. That's not including downloads, Bible app downloads, free copies. Um, in 1631, a publishing company published a Bible with a, Bible with a typo. And so instead of saying thou shalt not commit adultery, it says thou shalt commit adultery. <laughs> you thought your typo in the work email was rough. You thought autocorrect failed you. There's only nine of these Bibles that are known as the sinner's Bible that are still around. <laughs> Some of you are like, that's the worst? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the world's largest Bible weighs 1,094 pounds. Built in 1930, the book is 43 and a half inches tall, and laid open it is a width of 98 inches. Um, some of you have been beaten with a Bible, and you thought that one was big, right? 
There are currently 7,099 living languages in the world, and at least one portion of Scripture has been translated into over 3,300 of these languages. The New Testament is available in 1,521 languages, and the complete Bible has been translated into 670 languages, which, that's not good to me, right? I mean, it's translated completely in 670, but there's 7,099 living languages. We've got work to do. The last word in the Bible is amen. Um, the shortest verse in the Bible is John eleven thirty five. If you want to impress and if you want to impress somebody with your with your scripture memory, Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. Some of you are like, I got that one. <laughs> now try John three sixteen because I got that one too. All right. Uh, the Bible is the most commonly stolen book in the world. I've always said if somebody steals my Bible, they must have needed it, right? Uh, and most likely because it's available in hotel rooms and places of worship. So today I want to kick off this series and I'm going to call it Book It. Book it. Y'all, anybody remember or have kids that were part of the Pizza Hut program, Book It for Reading? Good, that has nothing to do with this. I just always think about that when I say that. And so today, um, today I, want to, um, I, I want to do a little more teaching than preaching. For those of you that know me, you know that I like to get fired up. I like to get excited. I move around a lot. Um, and some people say that the cameramen have a hard time following me, which I get. Uh, so I, I like to be passionate, I like to be excited, but today I'm going to try to stay put because I want to give you some more, some more detailed facts about why the Bible is important and why we can take it to heart. And so I'm going to try to do a little more teaching, I'm going to try not to get too, more, too much wound up. Um, if I do, y'all can call me out or wave your hand or something like that. But I'm going to try to be calm, cool, and collected. And just to kind of spoiler alert, my idea today is, is two part. Number one, if you... Um, are a believer, uh, I hope that through what I say and how God speaks to you, I hope it kind of sparks your, um, your determination and your excitement for the Bible. Like, I know it's really easy to, to see the Bible as this old-timey book and, and to not have a lot of passion for it, especially the longer we're believers. And so I hope that maybe I can pique your interest. Maybe you can say, I'm going to give that another shot. And the second part of what I want to do is maybe you say, I don't, I don't believe the Bible. Like, I'm just, I'm totally against it. I'm, I'm here because I, somebody drugged me here. I, I, I'm just here. My hope, and I'm going to go ahead and lay it out on the line. My hope today is that maybe, just maybe, you'll check it out. And maybe you'll find that there's a little bit of validity, in, of validity into it. And uh, maybe you'll open it up. And so, yeah, that's, that, that's, my, that's my agenda this morning. So, book it. And um, I'm going to set it up kind of like this. Uh, a couple weeks ago... I was at lunch with a friend of mine, and my phone was sitting on the table, and it started to, started to vibrate. And not, not thinking a whole lot about it, it was turned over, not thinking a whole lot about it, I kind of ignored it, and then it vibrated some more, and some more, and some more. And so finally, I'm, I'm at lunch, I pick it up, because our phone's never far away, right? So I pick it up, and I, I look, and I don't recognize the number it's from, so I put it, put it back down, and finish eating lunch, and on my way out to my truck, I'm looking at these text messages, there's like three, four of them, and so I'm trying to get a sense of, of what this is about because I, I don't know who it's, who it's from, and so I'm trying to rethink my conversations from that morning, what have I talked about, who have I talked about, what have I said, um, I tried to talk, think about my conversations even from earlier in the week because nobody, nobody wants to send the text of who is this, right, because basically what I'm saying is I don't talk to you enough to have you as a contact, and so... Who is this? And so I'm trying to avoid that awkward text. But finally, I'm like, I, I got nothing. And so I answer back with, who is this? 
I think one of the reasons a lot of us have given up on reading Scripture and we don't understand Scripture and we don't understand the Bible is because we don't realize who it's from. The Bible, as we read this, many of us really do think that it's just a bunch of facts, it's just a bunch of stories, it's just a bunch of ideas, it's just a bunch of, a bunch of old-timey stuff that doesn't have a lot of relevance today, but I think that's because we don't really realize who wrote this book, because when we see it for what it is and we see the heart behind the person that authored it, it changes how we read it. The book, the Bible is a letter. It's a, what our God thinks about us. It's what our God thinks about the world that we live in. And so God, when he created the world, he spoke it into existence, obviously very powerful being, but he speaks the world into existence. Now, my idea, had I been the creator of the world, is I would have sat back, I would have sat on my throne, I, was, I would have kicked my feet up, and I would have said, okay, I'm going to create some people because I want my ego to get big, and I want you to worship me, I don't want to talk to you, I just, you just do your job, you worship me. But our God didn't choose to do that. In fact, it was the very opposite. God spoke the world into existence. He's still on his throne, but he didn't want to be distant from man. No, in fact, he created man and woman just so they could have a relationship with him. And in Genesis, we get this picture of God breathing the breath of life into man, and because man had to have choice, whether they were going to obey or disobey God, because if I don't have a choice but to love you, that's not really love. God gave them a choice. They decided to eat the fruit. Man, what we call the fall of man, happened, and it was separated us from a holy God. And so from then on, God is seeking relationship. He wants things to be back the way they were before Adam and Eve made that decision. The Bible says they walked together, they talked together, and God wanted it to be that way again. And so when we read this Bible, we see the very words of God because he wants us to know him and his heart. He's not a cosmic killjoy. He's not a heavenly Santa Claus. He wants us in relationship with him. He wants us to know him. A lot of you know the Bible is divided up into 66 books that make up the whole. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is the beginning, is the first part, and it covers creation all the way to the point of Jesus getting ready to be birthed on the earth. The New Testament covers the birth of Jesus through the, the rise and the start of the early church, which, by the way, the church isn't the building. The church is those of us who have a relationship with Jesus and, and the work that we do in the world. And so the New Testament covers Jesus all the way through the start of the church, and then at the end of it, we get a look at the end of time and how triumphantly Jesus conquers the world, where trouble and struggle is gone, and Jesus is finally king, and we work in perfect relationship with him. And so today, I want to look at a book in the New Testament um, called 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is a book written by a guy named Paul. Um, Paul was a persecutor of Christians until he radically changed his life when Jesus spoke to him. And so he goes from persecutor of Christians to church planter, church starter. And so Paul writes 2 Timothy because Timothy is kind of his protege. Paul believes in Timothy. As a matter of fact, 2 Timothy, most scholars will think that Paul probably died a couple of years after writing 2 Timothy. So you can imagine, and he's, write, he's writing this from prison, so you can imagine the sense of urgency that he has in this letter. One of the themes of it is Timothy, stick to what 
you know. So let's look at a couple of verses. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed, or is breathed out by God. Some translations say God-breathed. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This morning, four reasons you can book it when it comes to the Bible. Number one, the Bible is accurate. The Bible is accurate. 2 Timothy 3.16 starts out, All scripture is breathed out by God. In other words, we can believe this book because God, the God, the creator of the world wrote it. It is accurate because he is the one that breathed it into existence. That word breathe there is the same word that's often used in the New Testament for the word spirit. And so God literally breathes his breath into these men who pen these books and they're brought together as one. And so what happens is all of the books are written down by men and so what we see is we will see the men's tone, we will see their life situation come through, they don't lose their sense of personality, but in the end, it's all a part of what God wanted to be written down. So God breathed it into man, man wrote it down, and God preserved and protected what went into it. If you're making a recipe for company, you don't just throw ingredients in willy-nilly, do you? You may do that when you make something that you've always, that you've always made, but if, if company's coming over and it's somebody you want to take care of, you measure the ingredients. The ingredients in this are carefully measured by God. He preserved it even though man wrote it down. One of the arguments you often hear is that there's contradictions in Scripture. Sure, you've heard that before. Usually when we hear that, we hear somebody say that because somebody else said it, not because they read it. But a lot of times people will say there's contradictions in Scripture. That's, that's not true. Oftentimes, the things that we see as contradictions are because we've taken things out of context. In other words, we've taken a verse from here and a verse from here, and when we put them together, they don't quite line up. And so it's important that as we read this Bible, we take things in context. Make sure you read what's above it. Make sure you read what's below it. Don't just take one verse and say, eh, that doesn't quite fit. As you're, as you're reading scripture, things like um, who it was written to come into play is really important. Things like who wrote it, like when I talk about that Paul wrote this letter, that's important to know because this is Paul's perspective because we get other pieces of Paul's story in the book of Acts. And so when I put those two together, I can kind of get to know him, put it in context, know who wrote it, know why they wrote it, know when they wrote it. And then, then you will see that there's no contradictions in it. A lot of people say that about the New Testament, especially the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, Luke and John. Let, let, me just, let me just say, for instance, we're all in the, sitting in this worship service, right? Everybody is sitting in a different seat. Everybody has a different perspective. Everybody went through something before they got here this morning. Everyone comes from a different walk of life. Even the airflow in the room is different for some of you. Now, if we leave this building, this worship service, and we go out and we all call the same person and tell them what it was like in here, do you know what will happen? We'll all have different answers. And so oftentimes what we see in Scripture, especially in the Gospels, is we see different people 
that are pinning these words but have had a different angle on what happened. And so they're not telling different stories. Sure, they may get some of the, like the sequence of things may be a little funny. Like you may think, did they do that song before that song? The sequence may be a little funny and there may be certain details that are left out because I'm not going to give a lot of details if I tell you about this service, okay? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you bullet points and I'm going to tell you the main point and that's it. My wife, on the other hand, she will tell you details. Y'all know what I'm saying? Ladies, y'all know what I'm saying? Men, y'all know what I'm saying. And so we have all of these, these books, and it's not because they're different. It's because they witness the same things, but they have different, different personalities. They're, they're, they're talking from a, from a different perspective. The Bible is accurate because of who wrote it, and it's also accurate because of when it was written. One of the things that you often hear about Scripture is it was something that was written years after just because morality was kind of getting out of hand. So they had to trace it. They had to get some way to fool these people into behaving. Listen to this. All of the books contained in the New Testament were composed before the end of the first century. In other words, at most, 70 years after Jesus died, every New Testament book is composed. Why is that important? Because if somebody was writing a bunch of stuff about someone we either know or somebody who was really popular in our time, you would see direct objections to that if they were lies, wouldn't you? Like if somebody was, was going around talking about how somebody that, 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 that has a lot of popularity today did something really, really wrong and everybody else knew it wasn't true, you would immediately see a response saying, nope, that's, that's wrong. We don't, we don't have that. We don't have that quick of responses to the Gospels, as early as, as, by the end of the century, all of these Gospels were composed. There's, it's accurate. There's validity to this. It's important. It's not just something we throw around or something that's always set on the coffee table, but this is real, and we can, we can, we can book it. I think it's easy for us to forget that these stories in here are firsthand stories. Matter of fact, there's 66 books in it for a reason. Because when they were composing what's known as the canon, which is a fancy word for the Bible, when they were collecting the things that would be in here, there were very strict standards for what would be included. And one of them was, for a book to be considered canonical, it must have been written by a prophet or an apostle or by one who had a special relationship to such. Only those who had witnessed the events or had recorded eyewitness testimonies could have their writing even considered as Scripture. I think for some of us, especially those of us that have had some loose ties to church for a while, like maybe you, maybe you haven't always like, been a church goer and you've never considered yourself a church person, but maybe you grew up with a grandma who had a Bible and it's on the coffee table. Maybe, um, maybe you've, you've been a, around a bunch of religious people. I think for a lot of us, we can forget that the stuff in here really happened. And so it almost seems like a Netflix special, or it almost seems like something we would binge watch on Amazon Prime, but we forget that this stuff really happened. When we read, the, like the story we talked about last week, if you were here, when God flooded the world, when we read that, we forget that there were people there Noah and his family, they were there. They witnessed those events. When we read stories, like when the Israelites got freed from slavery in Egypt, and they're on their way to to the promised land, they're trying to get to the promised land, and the Egyptian army is behind them, and there's a sea in front of them, and Moses is like, oh my goodness. And God's like, 
thanks for talking to me. Uh, here's what you do. Raise your staff, and I'm going to part the waters, and it's going to stand up on each side. We forget that there were people there that literally talked about how they walked through on dry land and how they got to the other side, and their foot wasn't even wet. I think we forget that when Jesus fed 5,000 with a little boy's lunchable, we forget it could have been 10, 12,000 people. We forget that there were disciples there. There were people in the crowd that day. There were people there that witnessed uh, Jesus thanking God for the bread and the fish and then feeding it and distributing it and just keep going and going and going and going. I think we forget that there were people there for that. I think we forget that the disciples saw Jesus as he hung on the cross in a public square, watched him breathe his last, confess it is finished, we see the disciples walking along away sad. And then the next time the disciples see him, he's eating breakfast with them alive. This stuff isn't made up stories. It's eyewitness accounts of people that experience this stuff People who went through this stuff and they believed it enough and they wanted us to know that this is real, that there is a God that loves you, that there is a Jesus who did have the power to willingly die on a cross and raise three days later and they wanted you to know because it's your hope. It's real. Y'all aren't supposed to make me preach today. The Bible is also accurate because it's time-tested. For example, there's 332 distinct Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. Hundreds of years before, they would write about Jesus. He fulfills 332 of those prophecies perfectly. It tells me that there's not only a God that knows the future, but who can dictate it. A professor, Peter Stoner, Stoner is his last name, not his condition, has calculated... <laughs> He calculated that the probability of any one man fulfilling eight, just eight of the 332, the probability of fulfilling eight of those is 10 to the 17th power. In other words, one zero 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 zero. That many silver coins would cover the state of Texas two feet deep. And that's just one person fulfilling eight of them. Jesus fulfilled 332. The Bible is accurate. Secondly, the Bible is practical. The Bible is practical. 1 Timothy 3 goes on to say it's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training of righteousness. In other words, the Bible isn't just right, it's also good living. When we read the Bible, it informs us. When we apply, it works. The concepts in here work. And whether you realize it or not, whether you're, whether you're against this whole religion, religion thing or whether you're for Jesus, the things that you do that work are founded here. Have you ever given to someone in need? Have you ever believed that we're better together than we are apart? Have you ever believed that there's, like, there's, there's, there's a purpose for your life? Like, you don't exactly know maybe what it is, but, like, I'm, I'm born for something. It starts, 
It starts here, and whether you realize it or not, this stuff works. It's more than a set of rules. It's a set of life bumper rails. It's a set of life guardrails, and it works. How many of you have ever done something that was said in Scripture, and it made your life worse? Anybody? How many of you have ever forgiven someone? Later on, you're like, man, I really wish I was still holding that grudge. <laughs> How many of you have ever loved someone? You gave them a couple of dollars, you saw them, they were hungry. And when you walked away, you thought, man, I wish I'd have kept that for myself and let them starve. Nobody. Because this stuff works. Number three, the Bible is personal. The Bible is personal. First Timothy 3 goes on to say that the man of God may be complete. The thing that completes you is not having the right people agree with you. The thing that completes you is not having the right house. The thing that completes you is not driving a better car. The thing that completes you is not getting a bigger TV because football season's coming up. That makes good, that, may, that makes for a fun life. But that doesn't complete you. The thing that completes you is not how many people like your Facebook post or how much you can get gossip stirred up. That stuff doesn't complete you. The only thing that completes you can complete you, whether you're a believer in this room or not. The only thing that can feel that thing that, that can feel that, that that need inside of you, that thing that's that's deep down that that, that you know is, is is still missing something. The only thing that complete that can complete that is your creator, because your creator is the one that put it there because he wanted you to know him. And when we read scripture, it shows us who that creator is so that it can complete us. If you wait to get the right stuff, if you wait to get the right feelings, to get the right people, before you feel complete, you will always be waiting. The Bible doesn't just instruct, it transforms. The truth is, God reveals himself through Scripture. He breathed it. He reveals himself. It shows that you and I were created by a God. And when we read the Bible, it gives us a glimpse at his heart. We can, as we read scripture, we can see the compassion. Jesus wept. That shows the compassion of our Father. As we read scripture, we can, we can see his grace. We can see how, yes, the stuff in here really does work. And he gives us, he gives us a, a rules and advice because they work, not to torture us, but because he wants what's best for us. We can see that as we go through Scripture. We can see he, that he has some plans. We can see his instruction. And as we read Scripture, we can see his miraculous power, and it makes us believe that he can do it through us too. It shows us who he, he is. It also shows us who he is to us, that he's our creator, that he's our father, that he's our source. You see, there's countless stories in scripture where people had a, had a big lack that God met 
the Israelites, the people we were talking about earlier, they were hungry one time, and God rains down Cheerios to provide for them. It shows that he's our source. It shows that he's our redeemer. That was the whole point of Jesus. The Bible shows that he's our protector, that he steps in at just the right time, and he fights for us. And the Bible shows that he is our hope. If you flip to the end in the book of Revelation, you see that as Jesus followers, we win. No matter what you're going through right now, there is hope. Because the end is not in doubt. Shows who God is, and it also tells us what he thinks about us. Y'all listen fast, because i got to talk fast. We are created in his image. Ephes uh, Genesis 1.27, the Bible says we are his workmanship. The Bible says we are his beloved, 1 John 3, 1 through 2. It says we are a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2, 9. It says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, Romans 8, 37. John 15, 15 says we are a friend of Jesus. Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation. In other words, if you feel con condemned, it's not true because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us that we are provided for. It tells us we are children of God. It tells us we are heirs, Romans 8, 17. In other words, we get what our Father has for us. And it also tells us that we are redeemed, Ephesians 1, 5. The Bible is personal. The Bible is God's heart to you. Number four, the Bible is beneficial. Those verses end with equipped for every good work. I think I've mentioned to y'all my struggles in sowing grass seed. It's been quite a journey, partly because my house is apparently built on an old rock quarry. But you, do you know why my grass sowing never goes well? Because I don't have the right tools. I don't have an aerator. I just try to stab some holes in the ground with something. But I don't have like a legit aerator that I can pull behind something and really aerate my yard. I don't even have a spreader. I throw it out by hand. If we're not equipped, we can't do the things that we want to do. The Bible equips us to handle life situations. Because one thing I've learned in my short life is that life is hard. It's difficult. And it's one of those things where the second you think you got it figured out, something else pops up. Relationships are hard. Finances are hard. Emotions are hard. Family is hard. People are tough. And life can be difficult. That's why it says, I want men to be equipped. I want them to be equipped to live this life. It's been said that there's not a single situation that you can go through that the Bible hasn't spoken to. Equipped for every good work. So my challenge for us this morning is that, that we would read the Bible. And I know for a lot of us, it's, it's like we don't get it. Here's, here's an here's a old preacher story I read. And I'm, I'm not going to read an old preacher voice, although that would be really funny. But here's an old, an old preacher story that I read that I've never heard before. But I think it illustrates this point. A critic once wrote a letter to a magazine saying, Over the years, I suppose I've gone to, to church more than 1,000 times, and I can't remember the specific content of even one sermon over those years. What good was it that I went to church a 1,000 times? 
The next week, someone wrote back, over the past many years, I have eaten more than a thousand meals prepared by my wife. I can't remember the specific menu of any of those meals, but I know they nourished me along the way, and without them, I would be a much different man. Even though it doesn't make sense, keep doing it. You're being equipped. You're getting to know your Creator, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, it is playing itself out in your life. The pinnacle of the Bible, from cover to cover, it all points to one man. That's Jesus. There's countless times. As a matter of fact, um, we may do a series later in the year uh, about some of these times. There's countless times in the Old Testament where we get a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for us. Noah saving the animals on the ark is foreshadowing of what Jesus would do when he came and he saved the people that are willing to be with him. But there's countless stories that point to this Messiah who, who did these prophecies that people wrote about 100 years later. That is the pinnacle of this story. And for some of us this morning, one of the reasons why you're, you, you don't feel equipped for life and you don't feel complete still is because you don't know Jesus. This whole thing is about him and you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment. If you're in here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, and you're thinking that a lot of this just flat out doesn't make sense, but you know there's got to be something else. If you feel like you need to accept Christ this morning and ask him to be a part of your life, just say this prayer in your heart. You can say it in your mind. You can say it out loud. Just say, God, I'm empty. I've been trying to do this by myself but there's something missing. I believe you came. I believe you died. I believe you rose. And I believe what the Bible says. I believe you're coming back. And I believe victory is mine through you. So I don't exactly know what it looked like to follow you, but I'm going to do my best. In Jesus' name, amen. You can look up. So for the next six days, we have something we want you to, to do. Hopefully what this will do is it will kind of kickstart your Bible reading. Um, we're all going to be doing this together. Every morning we're going to have a Facebook Live that we can talk about and we can kind of interact on what, um, what, was, what was read that morning. So we'll start tomorrow for the next six days, Monday through Saturday. We're all going to do this reading plan together. And this, in case you, starting ground level here, in case you don't know how to find this reading plan, it's on the Uversion Bible app. So if you have an iPhone, or whatever, or an Android, whatever phone you have, it's in there. Just tap on your, your store, search Version Bible app, and it's the one with the brown icon there that says Holy Bible. Um, totally recommend that all the time. And so you'll download that, and once that downloads, you'll open it up, and you can search for the reading plan that we're all going to be doing. What it'll do is it'll give us a couple of verses, and then it'll give us a devotional about those verses. You're free to read more than that if you want to be like super Christian. But if not, just read what's on there. And you'll search for Finding Grace in Ephesians. Finding Grace in Ephesians. That's the plan. We'll start in the morning and we'll go through Saturday. And the reason we want you to download that app is because I hope this isn't a six-day thing. I hope this is something that begins to be a part of your, of your daily reading. You can also, if you already have the Uversion Bible app, or maybe you just want to do it online, you don't have a phone, you can also text the word Springwell to 83. 83361, text the word Springwell, and it'll send you the link to that plan. So for the next six days, 
We're going to read those verses. We're going to read that devotional. And hopefully, what my prayer is, is that it will spark something inside of us that will last beyond just these six days. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, it's, it's really it's really tempting, God. I know even for some days for me it's that way to, to just skim through or to think of it as just an old book that um, maybe used to be relevant or used to matter. But God, it's still breathed out by you. It's still your word. So God, give us a passion. Lord, whether we... Whether we're a believer or not, whether we're a Jesus follower or not, God, just give us a passion to know it better. And God, when we do it, would you please just make things come alive for us? God, so often in the past it hasn't. Would you just make it come alive? And with your spirit, would you speak to us, Lord, so that we can be complete and know our God and know our Savior the way you want us to. In Jesus' name.